0: I will be reading from Psalm 9, the book of Job, and Mark 4, when Jesus calms the storm. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord, enthroned in Zion, proclaim among the peoples what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all the peoples that forget God. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Arise, Lord. Do not let mortals triumph. Let us be judged in your presence. "'Strike them with terror, Lord. "'Let the nations know they are only mortal.'" Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, "'Who is this that obscures my plans "'with words without knowledge? "'Brace yourself for a fight. "'I will question you, and you shall answer me. "'Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? "'Tell me if you understand.'" Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it? and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come, and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of God.
1: Well, yesterday was Juneteenth, the oldest known celebration honoring the end of of slavery in the united states and this week congress passed into the law that juneteenth is now a federal holiday so many of you might have enjoyed a friday off now if you're not familiar with the background on june what date was it 19th 1863 uh, 1865 a union general rode into galveston texas to declare that slaves were now free and even though the emancipation proclamation It was written into law, introduced by Lincoln in January 1863. It could not be enforced in many places that were still under Confederate control. So in Texas, it took over two years for approximately 250,000 Texan slaves to know that their freedom, that they were now free. And here we are, 160 years from the end of slavery, and still we are seeing the effects of oppression resulting from slavery. In particular, when you look at wealth, the measure of resources that one has access to, based on statistics in 2019, we find that the median household wealth of white families is around $188,000, compared to $24,000 for African-American families. Now, the majority of wealth is transferred intergenerationally, from generation to generation, through land ownership in America. And land is something that that many white households benefited from even as slavery ended. And black and as uh, and Native Americans, as we heard the story, uh, children's story today, reminded us of, lost out on even as America developed. And it's not getting any better. Since these statistics were collected by the government in 1963, the unjust effects of slavery continue to be revealed in these wealth statistics on our nation. White wealth continues to grow, while black wealth remains pretty flat. So the question is, what's the way out? How do we respond to injustice and oppression, particularly for African Americans in America? Now, discussing possible solutions like reparations is something that we need to do, but that's not the point of today's message. But I want us to look at what, informs our response to injustice. And over the course of the summer months, we'll be looking at readings of the lectionary through a lens of justice. But not just our sense of justice. You see, we have an idea of what that looks like. But we want to see how God addresses oppression and injustice through the pages of Scripture. And in doing so, we hopefully will arrive at a more hope-filled response to justice that doesn't just limit responding to bold uh, activism on one hand or on the other hand just denying that any of it exists or resigning to silence because it's just too hard to think about as many of us might be inclined to do today in the lectionary text that Ryan read for us we want to explore how we might respond to injustice and suffering that we observe in the world first there's our response and then we see god's response and then we see our renewed response to injustice. Now, the Scripture gives us many points of connection and comfort, because we recognize that there are that, that life is real, and life is hard often. And so we want to see what Scripture says about injustice in today's lectionary texts. So, Some of us might find it easy to identify with Job. Job experiences a lot of hardship in his life. We cry out to God for relief and for our suffering and for oppression. And like Job, we might even demand to have a chance before the living God to say, why? Why, God? What's going on? Job expresses a sense of injustice despite living what he views as an upright life. He doesn't understand why he has experienced personal losses in personal health, in material wealth, and even in his members of his family. Job's complaints are not novel when he essentially says "says to God, what did I do to deserve this? This isn't fair. I'm a good person. And over the course of the first 37 chapters of Job, we hear his so-called friends unhelpfully counsel him to repent of some sin that clearly has made God angry to result in these unfortunate circumstances in Job's life. Or at the very least, they're saying that there's something that you're not aware of that has brought him all this calamity. Yet Job insists that his suffering is undeserved. It's unjust. And all through the dialogue, Job demands a chance to stand before the living God. And in chapter 38, that's when God finally responds to Job's sense of unjust suffering. I wonder, do any of us ever feel like Job? That God, why do I have to go through this? Why does this have to happen to me or to my loved ones? Or maybe you feel a little bit like uh, the disciples in the boat with Jesus in Mark chapter 4, where, where they come and they say, a squall, a furious squall came up and the waves broke up over the boat so that it was nearly swamped and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion and the disciples woke him and says, say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Like the disciples we have come to know Jesus and we hear his call and recognize God's power and faithfulness in our lives and we're glad to have Jesus in the boat with us journeying through the seas of life together. But when the seasons turn, of life turn from smooth sailing during the day into this evening darkness, we wonder what Jesus is up to. We, we wonder if why he would let this happen to us. And we remember verses like, You know, Romans, if God can be for us, then who can be against us? Why is this happening if God is for me? Jesus is right there with me, but he seems fast asleep, oblivious to what I'm going through, to my anxiety, to the storm that surrounds me. And the disciples voice what we feel. Jesus, don't you care what's going on? Jesus, don't you care about my depression? Jesus, don't you care about the shame that I experience? Jesus, don't you care about all these things that cause my anxiety, why would a good God allow this to happen to me and allow me to go through this? I mean, if I were God with God's power and I really cared about people, I would probably stop this from happening. Aren't we all tempted to think like that sometimes? To think that we can out God, God. This is rather human of us. It's not wrong to point out that things are not right in our world. It's not wrong to lament oppression. It's not wrong to want relief from suffering. And it's not wrong to ask questions to make sense of our suffering and oppression in our world. That's what it means to be human, I think. But in some ways, when we are asking those kinds of questions, we're tempted to out God, God. What do we do with that? How how does God respond to our outgoding of God? Job does what most of us do. It's not wrong. Uh, he, he He draws conclusions about the nature of God and God's rule from what he observed on earth in his circumstances and in the circumstances that surround him. And God responds to Job's questions in chapter 38 saying this. Verse 2, who is this that obscures my plans without words, without knowledge? In other words, he's saying to Job, Job, you talk a lot, but you don't know what you're talking about. Verse 4, God continues, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Job has been talking about all the suffering that he has experienced since his birth. But God asks Job, well, were you there at the birth of creation? You know, the disciples, too, seem to think that Jesus doesn't seem to know what they are going through. They see the storm. They see the wind blowing. They see the water lapping over the edges of the boat. They think they know what they're talking about because some of them are seasoned fishermen. They know what it's like to read the water. And they see this former carpenter who has now become their rabbi. Does he really know what's going on? Does he really care? Look at him, he's sleeping. If he really knew what was going on, he would be doing something about it. That Jesus is still sleeping proves that he doesn't perhaps know what he's doing. Like Job and the disciples, our response to threats and injustice and God's apparent lack of care are very natural and very real. But we discover that God has a very different perspective than us. We find in both of these scenes that God responds in the midst of a storm. For Job, we're told that God responds out of a whirlwind. For the disciples, Jesus uh, 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 does something in the midst of a storm. And this is something interesting for us as modern hearers because the sea and the storm motif is something that ancient hearers immediately connected with. In ancient cultures and religions, the sea represented chaos, and uh, turmoil in creation. In both the Babylonian and Ugaritic uh, cultures that preceded the Hebrew faith, the goddess of the sea needed to be tamed and defeated by a greater divine power in order for order to be restored in creation. The sea symbolized all that was out of control in this world, and humans suffered at the hands of that chaos. And the way through unjust suffering was a bigger, stronger God to defeat this lesser God of chaos. But we find that the God of Scripture responds quite differently to this apparent chaos. In Job chapter 38, verses 8 to 11, I think it's coming up on the screen, uh, God asks, Who shut up the sea behind the doors? When it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. God's God's response to Job in verses 8 and 11 indicate that the living God doesn't fight the chaos. God, we find, doesn't have to. God demonstrates control over all of creation, including the chaos in the world. God sets limits for the seas and where it can go. And rather than envisioning this battle between kind of equal gods, we find that scriptures view the living God as a supreme power over all of the universe. The seas, as powerful and chaotic as they are and as destructive as they can be, actually serve a purpose in the plan of the living God. In fact, it is God, because of God's providential love that limits chaos and suffering and injustice in our world. More, uh, limits it more than what it can do. For Job, God's response sets Job's, Job, Job right in three ways. First, as admirable as God, uh, Job's morality is, we find that God's eternality, eternal nature is much greater and secondly, Job's lifetime and perspective are so brief compared to God's. God's purposes are beyond God's ability to full, uh, for beyond Job's ability to fully comprehend. Third, God confronts even chaos and limits its effects and destruction because of God's great love. And so, we can look to God in the same way we find that in Mark chapter 4, the disciples uh, uh, disciples are fearful and frustrated that Jesus doesn't seem to care about their plight. In fact, he's fast asleep. And he's likely could have continued to sleep unless the, the, until the disciples woke him up in his mercy and he responds. And as Ryan you know, enacted so well, I saw Lord Vader... Uh, when he said peace be still channeling vader but that he wasn't channeling vader he's channeling the divine power of god and 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 the disciples responding even the wind and the waves obey him they stand amazed god's just and caring response doesn't happen before the storm takes place The morality of the disciples, uh, the fact that the disciples had Jesus in the boat with them, doesn't keep the disciples from encountering the storm. God's just and caring response doesn't prevent the storm from happening. But it's in the midst of chaos and suffering that God shows up. God limits what could be far worse. I hope we can see ourselves in the self-righteousness and the impatience of Job and the disciples. God responds, God's response to chaos and injustice uh, informs our impatience towards injustice. We see struggle f- against injustice is rarely won in a lifetime. Whether it's overcoming racism in America, apartheid in South Africa, the f- treatment of unfair treatment of Aboriginals and First Nations people in America, Canada, Australia, and, and South America or injustice against ethnic minorities in China. These struggles are generational. Baptist pastor Edward Wheeler comments on the elements of nature as allies in uh, in the work towards justice, saying this, We don't think about the elements of nature as allies in the fight against oppression, but in Job, the continued existence of nature is a powerful witness to God's eternal intention to end injustice, and to bring all things into supportive relationship. But Pastor Wheeler is saying God actually uses the chaos and the apparent injustice of the world to accomplish his purposes. But you might be thinking, well, if that's the case, then I don't have to do anything, right? But recognizing God's perspective and, and, and timelines doesn't mean that we don't have a, a responsibility in this In matters of justice. It's easy for Christ followers to take the easy way out and say, well, God will deal with it in the end. I don't understand and it's too hard to do. Let someone else take care of it. It's generational. But that too is the wrong response. We are to point out injustice and oppression in our world. We are to work for justice and reconciliation in our world. We do have a responsibility to respond, but it takes the burden off ourselves that something must happen when we do something, and it must happen in our lifetime. It removes the self-righteousness and condescension that so easily creeps in when, we, when others don't see the injustices like the way that we do. God is not only the just injustice limiter, but God is also the ultimate justice maker. We are not. God is. And we join with God in that work. And perhaps that's why we need prayers like that of David in Psalm 9 to remind us of who really is in control. David's words remind us of who we can direct our sense of injustice towards. Here on the screen, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. God's the supreme power. He has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. We need Psalms like this to remind who's really in control and who really judges rightly. Who sees all the wrong that is in the world? God. Who judges rightly? That's God. Who will respond in due time? That's God. It's none other than the Lord of Scripture. Now, as we celebrate Juneteenth this weekend, we recall how the Emancipation Proclamation was declared two years before the news arrived. to the slaves in Texas in 1865. And though the law of freedom and justice was written and passed, news of it had not yet reached them in Texas. And here we are 160 years later, and we still see that justice for slaves and their descendants has not yet been completed. And so we are to work for justice and to right the wrongs of our nation's past. But there's another proclamation that happened even before the Emancipation Proclamation 160 years ago. This other proclamation took place, in fact, 2,000 years ago, and we're still waiting for the fulfillment of this proclamation. We're still waiting for the restoration and the reconciliation that this proclamation announced. 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus arrived in Roman-occupied Canaan to proclaim the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 61, saying, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He is anointed, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Those words came and were repeated, and Jesus says, these words are being fulfilled today as I speak them. But it seems like it's not quite true yet, because we're living between two pronouncements. The Christian story is living between this first pronouncement of Jesus two thousand years ago and the second announcement in anticipation of Jesus' second arrival when the apostle where the Apostle John uh writes in Revelation, picturing Jesus too, riding on a horse to proclaim freedom and reconciliation for all of creation in the new heavens and the new earth. We're living in this in-between time, between the now and the not yet. We're still in this life, but we're still anticipating this life to come. And in this life, though Jesus has come to set people free, we will still see oppression and marginalization and stratification happen, unfortunately. And even over the pandemic, we still see oppression and stratification continue to be revealed just as quickly as freedom and equality are proclaimed. So how do we go about facing this world In this paradoxical reality well we call out injustice like no one else sees it but we don't judge injustice like god doesn't see it we call it out like no one else sees it but we don't judge it like god doesn't see it and we work for justice like it all depends on us with effort with vigor but we wait for the completion of justice like it doesn't depend on us. Because we know that God's true and transforming justice depends completely on God. Now, many of you know Jane Charles, a precious member of WCF, who's experienced a Job-like life in her health, in her family, and her material challenges. Yet every time I speak with her, I find that my faith is encouraged by her despite the tremendously difficult circumstances that she has faced. For the past 25 years, she's been in and out of the hospital with one health condition after another. Yet her faith, faith and in love, faith in and love for God remains undeterred. She shared with me and others who have been supporting her this week. Must we only love him when things are going well? No, we must love him when things are not going well and worship him in the midst of pain. She's been in the spirit of worship and song, recognizing God's blessings in the midst of suffering. And Jane expresses a deep trust in this God of justice who, in God's loving mercy, keeps deathly suffering at bay, even for her. You know, God is the one who holds the universe in God's hands. God keeps chaos and injustice at bay. Not because God's afraid of it, but because of God's immeasurable love and eternal wisdom. God will judge rightly and will restore completely. So we don't have to do it all ourselves. We don't have to sit in despair that the injustice and the oppression that we see in this world will never be addressed. Because it will. Followers of Christ know the end of the story. And so we work for justice, with incredible hope and love. So let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Amen.